Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat. We're solution architects based in APAC, and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives into topics of interest. Hello, my name is Shane Baldacino, and this is episode 69 of the AWS Tech Chat podcast. And joining myself today is Dr. Peter Stansky. Pete, obviously we're practicing social distancing and are not face-to-face today in what may be becoming the new normal these days. Hi, Shane, and uh, hello, listeners, and it's great to be back as always. And yes, uh, look, um, I must say that we have been doing this show for a few years now, Shane, and whether we record it remotely or in person, uh, it's funny the way, but uh, certainly... Um, the wonderful power of technology means that we can do this in person or uh, as we are right now from our homes and our studies, right? So uh, interesting times. Yeah, look, I hope you and your family are looking after yourself, Pete. Listeners, what are you doing in your region of the world? Wherever you are, take care of yourself during these times. Indeed, yes. We've got uh, the school holidays started early here for us in Australia and Victoria. So uh, I've got a house full of kids just like you. Um, so uh, yes, I just had to have a, I had a queue in the kitchen to make a cup of tea, Shane. So nothing I've really experienced before like this. Fancy that, a queue in the kitchen. Now, listeners, before we start the show today, we've had a bit of a hit and miss start as we enter 2020. As mentioned numerous times, this show is a labor of love. It's not our full-time roles. And given the growth of the show, we are working to ensure it gets the love and attention it needs. So please bear with us in the coming weeks or months till we find a regular rhythm that works. Absolutely. And uh, it does take many hours of uh, effort to get the show together. So uh, I hope you guys are enjoying it because uh, we certainly love doing this. And uh, like I said before, it's a lot of fun. And uh, certainly in these times, it's great to perhaps uh, focus on a bit of tech, uh, have a bit of tech chat today. Exactly. And indeed, we are going to focus on a bit of tech. So in this themed episode of AWS Tech Chat, we're going to explore some methods you can use to cost optimize your stack on AWS. Let's go with some tips and tricks that you can use that may well not be so well documented. But before we get into this episode, we usually do the news. Now with recent world events, a lot of organizations the world over are changing the way they work out of necessity. And Pete, can we quickly talk about what Amazon is doing to help make this transition easier? Indeed. Look, um, uh, what we've been doing recently is, um, you know, the Amazon Workspaces, uh, which is a virtual desktop offering. So as of uh, 1st of April, uh, we've opened it up to 50 users at no charge for uh, new Workspaces customers. Um, and uh, this is this offer is available through the end of June. Uh, and what this is really about is actually helping people who uh, want to be able to use uh, a virtual desktop um to experiment or you know take a bit of work from home and work virtually uh, and this actually includes our standard value and performance bundle Shane so uh, it's a great solution I use it every day just like you and look if you're not familiar with workspaces as Pete mentions it's our VDI offering or virtual desktop infrastructure you know you can spin up an Amazon Linux 2 or a Windows based desktop in the cloud you know if you're a small business and need a transfer from working physically behind computers to VDI check out workspaces As Pete mentioned, various bundles ranging from, you know, really small ones, you know, you can do your basic word processing, email, et cetera, through to multi-screen and GPU acceleration. So there's an option for you. And I'm sure we've covered this in the past in Tech Chat, but if if you're not familiar with workspaces, you can search more about it. They are free with zero commitment until June 30. So this is going to help you get through these times. 
Which is pretty cool. And look, the other the other thing that we also have, which we use every day, is called Amazon Chime, which is basically um, you know a collaboration platform for sharing a desktop. You know, having uh, you know lots of folks uh, talking to each other online, um, and uh, it's pretty much uh, pretty much free in its basic form, right? Yeah, and look, which I have to say, as free, it's pretty good and well featured. But look, uh, from here until June the 30th, again, uh, we, will, we will be offering uh, Amazon Chime Pro features for all of your online meetings and video conferencing needs um, using Chime, especially if you are a brand new user of it. Yeah, and look, there is a feature list for Chime Pro, but the big ones for me mm-hmm. on what Pro gives you over basic is, you know, you can host a lot of attendees, up to 250. You can do dial-in for your meetings, which I find that um, handy, especially having Chime call me to remind myself that it is time for a meeting. That's telephony, you know, right? That's a PSTN or dial-out to a mobile or a traditional phone line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or even the app. Um, you know, you can create a personalized meeting link, record meetings and so on. So look, I want to call out so there's no bill shock. Pete, you just mentioned it's free, but Except. if you are using features, yes, if you're using features that leverage PSTN or you know the public switch telephone network, and you are asking Chime to call a user on your behalf. So, you know, it could be time for a meeting. Hey, let's call Pete mm. uh, automatically. If Chime is doing the call out over the public switch telephone network, there will be associated call charges with that. Which kind of makes sense, right? Yeah, it yeah. does. Look, mm. other than that, it's completely free. And look, I would also say, you know, ditch the PSTN network, use <laughs> use an app, use a client, use the website, you know, the Chime website, download the Chime app for your device, then you don't even have to worry about it and you get better audio quality. Lastly, uh, Jeff Barr, our chief evangelist, or shall we perhaps call him the chief blogger, has published a post on seven AWS services that can help you ease the transition into working remotely, so perhaps working from home. Uh, and look, we will put the um, link in the show notes but if you go and type in uh, how AWS can help working from home into your favorite search engine, uh, you'll be able to go and read up that blog. Awesome. Yeah, well worth reading. And look, with summits all postponed, there are still ways to get your AWS geek on. You know, Again, use your favorite search engine, type in AWS events. You'll be able to find many free scheduled or on-demand training courses in your local time zone. Um, pop some training on another screen. You know, It helps preventing your blade going down. You know, Keep the source sharp, as we say. And look, in terms of expansion, you know, there's no new regions other than what's already been uh, announced and pre-announced, uh, as well as no additional CloudFront pops. But uh, watch this space. There's a few more to come. Cool. All right. So, Pete, let's spend today talking about how one can cost-optimize their AWS stack. Now, before you think I'm going to just talk about, you know, how you can turn systems off and take a razor to your stack in eliminating waste, that'd be too easy. Today, I want us to talk about step change, you know. Some of the work here will be harder than others, requiring a lot of effort, whereas some will be quite low-hanging fruit that are big, plump, and juicy. I like the sound of that. I think it'll be a great show theme given uh, everyone's always focused on uh, you know, doing more with less. Cool. Okay. All so right. look, I want to rewind back to reInvent last year, 2019. We announced our second generation of Graviton processors in the form of the M6G, the R6G, and the C6G. So they're currently under public preview, meaning you can request access to these. And given this is number one on my list, this is and if this is applicable to you, I suggest you know you go out, sign up for the public preview. So various publications I follow, and I'm not going to name names here, but suffice to say, various artifacts on the internet are now available that have run the numbers on these new instance types. And for the techies out there, so Graviton 2 
is a 64-core monolithic server chip. It uses the ARM's new Neoverse N1 core, so it's a micro-architectural derivative of the, what you find in mobile phones, a Cortex-A76, as well as ARM's CMN600 mesh interconnect. You know, it's a, we'll say, pretty straightforward design that is effectively identical to ARM's reference architecture. Now, Pete, I want to go on the details. I really do because I love like specinf and specking benchmarks, but I'm going to hold my tongue and say it's able to hold its own against the Intel Cascade Lake offering in our M5N and the AMD Epic Zen offerings in the M5A. So why should customers change? Well, look, uh, Graviton to showcase that it can keep up extremely well in terms of performance and throughput. And uh, like I said, even beating some of the competitors in a lot of these tests. However, sometimes you just don't care too much about performance. You just want to get some work completed in the cheapest possible way, right? At which point, um, you talk about the business value, right? Exactly. And look, whilst our marketing will say that, you know, it's around 40% cheaper, testing has shown that this is probably erring on the side of caution here. Yeah, look, and if you look at the uh, uh, 64V CPU count instances, uh, which is fundamentally an X, which is a 16X large instance, the M6G, the Graviton 2, uh, the M5A Epic, as well as the M5N um, Xeon Cas- uh, Cascade Lake, uh, these are all priced at times of recording, by the way, which is today, it's March 25th, uh, at an hourly cost of $2.46, $2.75, and $3.80. 80 cents respectively in the US East One region. So translating the time to completion of the various spec tests you were referring to earlier, Shane, into hours and multiplying it by the hourly cost, we end up with a uh, you know, a cost per fixed workload metrics. And what we've basically um, uh, been seeing is that uh, these uh, spec tests uh, you know, aggregate all the workloads. When you sum them all up, uh, you know, what you will actually start to find is a um, real-life perhaps uh, uh, use cases. And we end up seeing the Graviton 2 coming out, you know, 40% cheaper than the competing platforms as, uh, you know, uh, as I just called out before. So if we, were to keep, if we were to compare some of these fixed workloads at smaller instance counts, because the Graviton 2 um, is basically better at per thread performance on the 4XL, so this is the 16 vCPU instances, Graviton is about 43% better value than the M5N and beats the AMD instances by being about 53% cheaper. So that's quite a bit, Shane. Yeah, it's amazing, really, you know. And this is a massive shakeup, not only for EC2, but x86 as a whole. And I see, you know, stepping outside of the AWS ecosystem at the moment, there are, you know, other manufacturers coming out with ARM-based servers to the market. So, you know, watch this space. Um, And look, we've covered this in the past, but how does one take advantage of this new architecture? Now, without mincing words, if your stack works on a Raspberry Pi, remember, it's also an ARCH64 architecture, then it should run without any issues on these new instances. If your code base is based on a script engine or a runtime, then you should be fine. So from Python through to .NET Core, Java, and everything in between, you're going to be in luck. Database engines, Docker, Kubernetes, they all run on ARCH64 today. And look, uh, Graviton is making it you know, way easy for even running container orchestration platforms in the form of ECS. And there are, uh, you know, blog posts out on uh, how you can run Kubernetes on EC2 Graviton uh, and get, you know, some very impressive high throughputs on the M5s. And in fact, uh, I think it was uh, Nick, uh, AWS.net, uh, that actually published, uh, you know, running Kubernetes on the ARM platform. And uh, I think he actually poked you by a couple of emails, Shane. He did. So it's always great to, you know, hear a listener of the show reach out to us. Um, So look, thank you very much, Nick, and I hope a lot of people visit your blog. But look, 
Exactly, Pete. Look, it may be as simple as just changing a compiler option. It may not even be that, you know, mm. like when I say changing a compiler option, that's, you know, maybe, you know, you're using, um, you know, libgcc or something like that, right? You need to recompile your code. But if you are running code against a script engine already, it's probably already been compiled for ARCH64. You know, it could be perhaps just as simple as referencing a different AMI ID, hopefully in CloudFormation, uh, not manually. But either way, the point I'm trying to make here is, listeners, 40% typically price discount. And in most cases, you need to do very little to leverage these instances. So this is my top tip for making step change to your bill because today compute typically constitutes for 80% of most customers. And if you can take 40% off that bill, that's a pretty big number. And look, the other benefits, which aren't perhaps as obvious, if you think about sustainability and uh, the power consumption of, um, you know, AR64 architectures versus, you know, uh, the traditional Intel platforms and AMDs, uh, they do run at a much lower power consumption, which means that they actually environmental impacts are, uh, are much lower as well, which is uh, something that's always good for everyone. So, yes, the TDP, the thermal dissipation power of these chips are effectively how much power they consume. You know, for 64 cores, they are effectively half that of the x86 offerings. So, you know, not only good for your pocket, but good for the environment as well. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Okay, Pete, for my next tip, Pete, let's get a bit theoretical here. So if you can't measure it, then good luck managing it. So this may not be as low-hanging fruit, you know, but when you measure and monitor your users and applications, you know, via observability, you can perform a gap analysis that tells you, you know, how closely aligned your system utilization is to your actual requirements. And then by working continually to minimize this utilization gap, you can ensure your systems are cost-effective. So that was pretty theoretical there. Let's make it real with an example. Let's say you've got an online shop if you can measure the cost you know, per item page view, then you can monitor that over a period of time, say six or 12 months. This way you can ensure your systems are improving over their lifetime. You, know, you can track your cost and look to drive down you know, over time via tweaks. You know, it's effectively a cost to serve. And I like to track this on a big dashboard. It could be a custom CloudWatch dashboard to which you track cost, make it visible in your organization and get people talking about it. Yeah, look, some of these tweaks could also include, but you know, they're not limited to perhaps changing to the ARM architecture that we just spoke about, right? Or if you're running on um, Elastic Beanstalk on EC2, consider moving to containers, uh, perhaps even um, you know, explore serverless in forms of Lambda. You know, just remember that you know, there are always tipping points where perhaps serverless may not be as effective as... Um, uh, fixed containers or other ways of running your workloads. So this is theoretical here, Shane, but the point is that you, if you're truly looking for a step change in cost reduction, it needs to be cultural, right? Um, you know, once it's part of your culture, you can start to gamify it and turn it into something that's always at the forefront of your mind, uh, sometimes by intention, other, other times by just subconscious behavior. Yeah. And look, I've actually worked at an organization that went from AWS bill shock to being able to measure, and I mean measure everything to be able to provide a cost to serve and there was a continual drive down to cost thereafter and i think the biggest change in this organization was going from having bills like most bills in it being held by an accounts payable team to being owned by the team procuring you know and delivering the application and having costs on a display for the entire organization. You know, team A could see the cost of team B and team C and so on. And once it's open to the organization, you never know who's going to help with ideas. You know, you might have someone in a specific team saying, hey, you know, we tried this and this was great to be able to minimize our costs. You know, it's disseminating that knowledge throughout the organization. 
So look, uh, it's also important to make sure that, that information is readily available, right? So uh, as a part of that gamification model, um, you know, I've seen organizations would have actually uh, publicly made um, each team spend visible, uh, which actually promoted that conversation that you were just talking about. But anyway, look, that was a, a lot of theoretical tips, right? Um, and theoretical kind of approaches, but um, one that you can definitely hang your hat on, and we've spot about, spoken about this in the past, is the usage of spot because this can actually drive and you know, reduce you know, quite significant um, cost savings for you. So a quick re refresher, if I may. So Amazon Spot instances really let you take advantage of all of the unused EC2 capacity that we have in the cloud. So Spot instances, are, in, in, in many cases, are actually able to give you an up to a 90% discount uh, compared to the on-demand pricing, uh, which is definitely something that you can hang, hang your hat on, right? Yeah, and look, you typically use spot instances for various stateless, fault-tolerant, or flexible applications. So stateless, fault-tolerant, and flexible applications, you know, really important, those words there, you know, such as maybe like big data, containerized workloads, CICD, web servers, HPC, and maybe even test and development workloads. So we're talking horizontally scalable workloads or workloads that can deal with an interruption. But more recently, and by recently, let's say the last 12 months, we have worked feverishly to integrate Spot into other parts of the AWS ecosystem. So if you've looked at Spot, you know, two years ago and thought, wow, this is really hard to integrate, please take a look now. And the reality is, Pete, and let's be honest, unless you've had some decent skills, you know, rewind two, three, five years, consumption of Spot required some skills and planning. Indeed. And look, um, you know, Spot has its use cases, right? Um, but because you have to remember that um, those instances may actually need to be reclaimed. And what, we, what we'll do is we'll give you a two-minute warning, right? So this is called the EC2 Spot Instance Termination Notice, right? So your applications can then use this time, those two minutes, to save their state, upload the final log file somewhere to perhaps S3, or remove itself from a load balancer, or take potentially other actions, right? So the above still holds true in terms of selecting the right application for your spot. Um, and um, you're probably not going to be running a database engine uh, or your ERP platform on a spot instance, but perhaps uh, all the worker nodes that perhaps process a lot of data um, that are basically being horizontally scaled, all this stuff makes it, uh, you know, uh, great use cases for those particular applications. So um, I've covered spot in a past episode. So uh, if you're interested, interested, go and check out the past episode of Tech Chat. Uh, but things to consider for, for spot instances are things like Fargate, ECS, EC2, um, you know, Elastic MapReduce, uh, always uh, think of CloudFormation could potentially use it, uh, your data pipelines and AWS batch. Yeah, and look, Pete mentioned before the EC2 spot instance termination notice. So that's the metadata, you know, when you, you know, you do a curl or, you know, you're trying to hit over HTTP, uh, HTTP 169254, 169254 and having a look at the instance metadata, we will publish a notification to you to say, hey, mm -hmm. you know, your instance has been set for termination. You've got two minutes. So you need, you know, to be able to either deal with that gracefully or being able to monitor that message and then take action so it's a small price to pay um, if you're going to be monitoring you know whether you're going to get shut down right so you can take your existing workload just add a little script that actually does those checks uh, and takes the appropriate shutdown or termination steps before you get shut down yeah absolutely and look you may not even need to you know if you think about maybe you've you've got an application that's got worker nodes reading from a queue well maybe you know if it's con it's processing something and it gets killed midway if it hasn't processed it, the message is just going to be returned to the queue and, you know, another node will take over. So it really depends on your application. Correct. But look, 
there are lots of different options here, as Pete mentioned, you know, from Fargate all the way through to EMR. Um, there is great auto scaling support now with the application load balancer with ASGs. Um, you know, you can create some pretty interesting architectures with the products that Pete just mentioned. Mm. And you know, Pete, I'll tell you a funny fact. Well, obviously oh, yeah. we all travel a bit in mm-hmm. this role. Um, I'm sometimes, you know, all suitcases look the same. I'll sit at a baggage carousel waiting for my bag. You know, is that my bag? Is that my bag? Is that my bag? I have two stickers on my suitcase, you know, tech chat, that's a given and EC2 spot. <laughs> um, you know, I like EC2 spot, maybe not as much as tech chat, but EC2 spot is great. So look, I like it a lot and couple spot, you know, we've got savings plans and reserved instances, but they work on demand. Well, Maybe not in the case of savings plan. You could even use savings plans to make spot even more effective. Mm-hmm. So all I'm trying to say here is we have a lot of levers available today with spot. We have fantastic integration um, on the platforms that you've mentioned here, Pete. And this is a really big lever that you can pull, you know, and it's not that high up to pull these days. It's, you know, pretty much in front of you. You can still do a little bit of work. So look, listeners, if you are a user of any of the above services that Pete mentioned, you know, with EC2 and ECS being listed, I'm sure you are. I want you to take a look at Spot. It's not as hard as you may imagine. Give it a go. Um, you know, again, I will say the integration with our auto scaling groups, allowing hybrid pools of compute. You know, comprising of on demand and Spot. So you know, you're not going to lose. Uh, you know, your workload is not going to go offline if you know you are outbid, etc. It, it makes it really super easy. There is no longer any complex lambda functions for you to author. No CloudWatch metrics to monitor. It just works. And perhaps, you know, combine savings plan with Spot and our ARM instances, these could be massive savings. Indeed. And look, um, something else to change your gears on now, and that's around things. Um, you can always fix things after you've deployed them, but it also does make sense where you focus on all of these things at design time, right? So uh, you may not attribute, you know, cost optimization to something like the well-architected framework, but uh, it's certainly a part of it, right? Uh, And I'm a big fan of it. So the well-architected framework, we've actually got focus a number of pillars um, and it can actually help you understand the pros and cons of many of your architectural decisions uh, while building your systems on AWS, right? It's uh, it's about architectural best practices for designing, you know, operating reliably, you know, having a secure infrastructure, being efficient, um, and fundamentally cost-effective in the cloud. I call it the cloud economic component. And it provides a, a really nice way to consistently measure your architecture against best practices and, and identify areas for improvement against what your business drivers might actually be. Uh, and um, the uh, framework is based on the five pillars, which I just touched upon, uh, operational excellence, security, reliability, uh, performance efficiency and cost optimization. Now it's available in the console, so you can you can hop on and answer those questions. Um, and uh, fundamentally, what we're talking about when it comes to these pillars is if you actually have a look at the PDF online by searching for AWS Well Architected, and uh, the uh, the actual document actually walks you through these pillars in more detail. Um, and when you think about the actual cost side of it, uh, you know you can think about things like ensuring that your usage and costs move in line with your actual demand of your infrastructure. Right? What's the point of running all this stuff as you said earlier when there's hardly anyone using it? Right. So you may want to pivot that. Uh, you want to use appropriate services and resource types to minimize your costs. Uh, you know whether it's queuing or queuing via a database table or using you know SDS notifications. All of these things certainly will be of interest and well worth exploring. Uh, Things like you know analyzing and uh, 
looking at actual costs that actually you attribute to these services. And fundamentally also considering that over time, you can actually reduce costs as we release new instance types, you can actually change those, um, as well as looking at a whole bunch of other architectural re-architecting activities that you could actually apply to your deployed solution. Yeah, fantastic. Massive fan of well-architected review. As mentioned, it's now in the console, so and you don't need to do all pillars. You can just focus on mm. cost in this example. So you know, the questions, I like to think they're thought-provoking questions. So let me give you an example. So how do you decommission resources? Do you track resources over their lifetime? Do you implement a decommissioning process? Do you decommission resources in an unplanned manner, like you know, someone's going, hey, our bill's too high. What machines can we turn off, et cetera? Or do you decommission resources automatically? Now, the tool in the console will have roughly about 10 questions, just like this as an example. And for every question, there'll be links on the right-hand side on how to implement AWS best practices. So in the case above, where you want to get to is automatic decommission. And in order to do this, you really need a solid tagging strategy. And there are links in this tool that's going to provide you a helping hand in order to implement best practices and strategies. And look, well, like the wilds, can be seen as being theoretical, goes back to the culture side of um, you know building a systems. And you can actually evaluate each and every workload through this 50 questions. So this questionnaire will put you in good step with uh, not only for cost optimization, Shane, but for multiple other dimensions of your architectural decision-making. Uh, and look, uh, having worked with the team that actually built this, uh, I'm a huge fan of well-architected reviews and uh, making sure that uh, you know everyone in your team actually understands those 50 questions um, because they can be used very much uh, either at deployment when you've built everything, or perhaps you might consider using well like that before you even begin um, to get you thinking a little bit differently before you design everything. Yeah, and look, I often tell my customers, download the PDF. It's an actually, it's a good read. Um, it's a lot of common sense that probably isn't 100% specific to AWS. It's general common sense. Absolutely look through the lens of well-architected when you were designing and architecting your application. And I think what's more, when I run well-architected reviews with my customers, it gets people talking. And I think if we get people talking about you know, decisions, not only around cost, but you know how we're performing, high availability or security, et cetera, it's only a good thing. Indeed. It's a very important to focus on that. Now, back to some more wins you can quickly take to the bank. Now, I was having a chat with a recently joined solution architect from Customer Land. So, Jane Oy, I hope it didn't embarrass you, about some quick tips that she has for cost optimization. So, in no particular order, here is her list, and I quickly want to dissect these on the fly for our listeners. So, the first thing she said is, Shane, tag everything. What do you think of that, Pete? Glad we're on the same page here, as uh, the, I've also given the same advice to our customers. So, tagging is really important. Um, because having a, a, a great tagging strategy opens so many different doors. Uh, there's actually um, a great document. Uh, so if you search for AWS tagging strategy for a document, and uh, that will actually it, it'll actually walk you through some tagging uh, approaches that we highly recommend based on trying to achieve uh, a whole bunch of number of things, uh, savings in, as well as being able to identify things like who is actually the owner of that particular workload too. Yeah, so you know what you're trying to achieve in this tagging strategy document, it could be, hey, I want a tagging strategy that's going to help me with automation or I want a tagging strategy that's going to help me with billing. Take a look at this document mm -hmm. um, because you may think you may only want, you know, like maybe three, four, five, ten tags. I would tag as much as you possibly can, pass as many attributes in because 
you never know when you will need them. And it's handy to be able to make decisions based on data or metadata against your associated AWS resources. And that's the key word, I think, Shane, the metadata. Having metadata about your instance and uh, what it does or perhaps who owns it or what you want to uh, explicitly call out about it is uh, incredibly valuable. Yeah, like so maybe you're creating that EC2 instance. You may have, you know, a team that owns it in the metadata. Mm-hmm. You, you might have a decommission date. You may have a build version associated to it. Correct. You know, add tags, tag everything, I think is basically what we're all trying to say in here. here. Indeed. All right, next one, Shane. Okay, next one. Okay, so anomaly detection. Look for those, she says. Yes, so uh, so the question really is, how do you find those outliers, right? It could be via tools such as Cost Explorer or Trusted Advisor. So Cost Explorer, for example, if you haven't used it yet, lets you visualize, understand, and really manage your AW costs and usage over a particular amount of time. You can create custom reports that can analyze cost and your usage data uh, and do it at a high level, for example, it can have a view of a total cost and usage across all of your accounts or perhaps dive deeper into your costs and usage data to identify trends and maybe even, uh, you know, pinpoint, you know, cost drivers and perhaps those uh, anomalies which we spoke about. Awesome. Yeah. And look, then there's Trusted Advisor, which provides, you know, real-time guidance to help you provision your resources following our best practices. So it aligns back to well-architected and it's going to call out specific areas where it believes you can take action. Maybe you've got a RDS instance that's got low utilization. Mm -hmm. So it might say, hey, we recommend you go to a smaller instance type and so on. So Trusted Advisor, really good. Need to call out though on Trusted Advisor, it is only available when you have AWS business support or Very above. Important. Yeah, good call out, Shane. Um, now, you've also mentioned, I think earlier on, Pete, you know, um, around, you know, you could do this retrospectively or you could do it proactively upfront. One thing to call out here, you know, if you've got these outliers, you know, you may find, um, you know, a team spun up something like maybe like an X1 instance, I'm taking it to the extreme here. (laughs) You could actually use SCPs or service control policies in AWS organizations to prevent this happening in the first place. So you could use an SCP to limit the associated resources that could be instantiated in an AWS account. So organizations, you know, being able to apply policy from top down that flow through to your accounts. Very important. Take a look at it. Mm -hmm. All right. So another tip that she gave me was upgrade to the latest instance type. Yes, and look, uh, you know, as you often find that new instances are becoming cheaper, uh, so you get more bang for your buck, right? So we get, you know, a boost in performance quite often, better throughput, better hardware that that those are actually, and you also get them at a lower price. We often actually have a stampede um, for <laughs> the new instances, Shane, as you as you well truly know. Whenever we release a new instance types, uh, a lot of customers simply just flock to those because uh, they are far cheaper and they have a higher I/O throughput as well. So uh, be mindful sometimes uh, if there is a big stampede and. Uh, you can't get the instance you want. Uh, one great um, trick to use also is to uh, pick a slightly older instance type because it's probably going to be less utilized than the ones that have just been released. Cool. Um, so on that front, Pete, how do you move to a new instance type? Like what are some tips and tricks to make this easier? Usually it's a pretty straightforward process, Shane. You know, uh, you simply stop your instance, uh, change the instance type you'd like it to be uh, so you know, upsized to the newest version. Uh, and click start or call the API um, or from the CLI, just do that yourself. So uh, it's a very simple process. Just be mindful that sometimes if you were coming from a very old instance, um, which actually has a different hypervisor technology, uh, you may need to uh, have a closer look at those. But predominantly, if you've been running on the more recent instance types, uh, the new ones that have been released are fully compatible. 
Perfect. So that's for the console. So if you are, you know, infrastructure as code, hopefully it's just a matter of, you know, changing your CloudFormation or, you know, language, can maybe Terraform or whatever it is in your DSL. You know, it shouldn't be that hard here. Um, and hopefully, look, you are infrastructure as code. So if you are coming off, maybe running an M3 as an example, you know, a really old hypervisor and you're trying to make that jump to an M5, even if there are incompatibilities between hypervisors, you know, you can quickly roll this out and, you know, infrastructure as code instantiate your stack once again. Very quickly, indeed. And her last tip was elastic IPs. Yeah, look, uh, because we charge you for for them only when they're not being attached to an instance, why would you have, you know, orphaned EIPs uh, sitting around when your instance isn't actually running? So uh, great tip, turn them off. Um, because, uh, you know, it's only a couple of cents, but still it adds up when you have potentially truckloads of those. Yeah, and you'd be surprised how many Elastic IPs people actually use. Um, and I'm look, IPv4... I've had, those, yep. I've had a few yeah. of those in my account over the years. So, yes, I'll literally appreciate it. Um, look, IPv4, limited resource. There are tips, you know, we potentially don't even need as many these days. You know, you've got SNI, server name indicator, um, you know, you can use HTTP, obviously, host headers. But, you know, the HTTP protocol has advanced. You know, you've got SAN-based um, certificates now. Mm-hmm. There are ways where you don't necessarily need to have, you know, a one-to-one mapping between, you know, typically users for SSL, between an SSL certificate and a Elastic IP. So, you know, these days, modern browsers, SNI, uh, SAN-based certs, you know, you can have that one-to-many relationship, reducing the need to have Elastic IPs in the first place. Indeed. And those days of having that fixed IP address for everything you do are kind of now, you know, uh, a well and truly in the past. They are. Tell me though, Pete, you know, whenever you're at home and you think your internet's broken or you're, you're traveling, mm. do you have a ping, a certain IP address that you always know? <laughs> yeah, me. <laughs> I actually <laughs> ping a DNS server uh, that I always, that I, that, that's easy to remember. So that's kind of how I fix my, uh, fix my, uh, well, undertake my checks of internet availability, trace routes and ping times. There we go. All right. So look, before we close the show, these are just our thoughts here. There may be many others. You know, the AWS platform provides you many levers, more than what we've had time to talk about today. Our website contains white papers and articles talking about cost optimization, but the internet is also littered with other bits of practical advice. Cost optimization never stops. And I want to stress, building a culture of continual improvement is paramount because as they say, Pete, culture eats tech for breakfast any day. And I absolutely agree with that. And on that note, it's time to close out the show. That's it for today, Pete. To close the show out today, we explored some methods that you can use to cost optimize your stack on AWS. We started the show uh, by reminding our listeners about our new Graviton processors in the form of the uh, M6G, the R6G, and the C6G uh, instances. Uh, currently in public preview, in that you can actually request access to these if your workload can make use of those, uh, which is the AR64 architecture. Uh, and they can save you potentially, you know, 40% plus of your EC2 costs. That's awesome. So I got a bit theoretical. If you can't measure it, then good luck managing it. So I spoke about observability and monitoring as key means to ensuring your systems are cost effective. You know, you need an understanding of the cost to serve and only then can you start driving costs down. We also spoke about spot instances, which lets you take advantage of unused EC2 capacity in the AWS cloud. 
Spot instances are available at up to 90% discount compared to on-demand prices, which is something you can absolutely hang your hat on. You can consume Spot from Fargate, ECS, EC2, our auto-scaling groups in when associated with an application load balancer, Elastic MapReduce or EMR, CloudFormation, Data Pipeline, and AWS Batch. And then I also spoke about the AWS well-architected framework. You know, it's our best practices for designing and operating reliable, secure, efficient, and really cost-effective systems for the cloud. Uh, and we honed in on the actual cost optimization pillar a little bit more uh, and riffed on over a number of topics from Field SA uh, on uh, what they look for when they try to trim costs out of an account. So uh, thank you, Jane Oi. Thank you, indeed. All right, so listeners, you know what to do. Keep the feedback coming. Let us know at awstechchat at amazon.com as your messages do drive the direction of this show. So we'll be back shortly as we reestablish our rhythm. But until next time, bye for now. And keep on building. Signing off, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to AWS Tech Chat by visiting www.awstechchat.com.